Our children are naturally inquisitive, but sometimes we feel ill-equipped to answer their toughest questions. It pays to have a strategy that honors their growth and their innocence. Today, I'm talking with best-selling author and homeschooling mom, Kendra Tierney, about answering your children's toughest questions. Join us. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hello and welcome. I'm Lisa Maladnik, your host, and today Kendra Tierney is here to unpack some ideas that will help you in answering your children's toughest questions. Kendra Tierney lives in an It's a Wonderful Lifestyle fixer-upper in the wilds of unincorporated Los Angeles County with her husband, their 10 kids aged 2 to 19, and some chickens. Kendra is a retired pilot and flight instructor who is putting her English degree to use as a homeschool mom and writer about all things Catholic. Her passion is liturgical living. What began quietly in their home with their children as a way to introduce them to the lives of the saints and the beautiful history and tradition of our Catholic faith now reaches hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. Through her blog, CatholicAllYear.com, social media accounts, YouTube videos, and many books, including the Catholic All Year Compendium, hope you can see that, those of you watching us on Hugh on YouTube. Um, Liturgical Living for Real Life, she shares how obscure Catholic traditions have helped the Tierneys form a strong family culture and Catholic identity, and have fun while doing it. (laughs) Welcome back, Kendra. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, I just love having you on the show because you have a passion, as your bio says, for liturgical living. Everything you teach families all over the world connects back to the sacred and the mysterious, yet you're always able to give us the practical and the particular to guide us. I just want to really thank you for doing that. Well, thanks. It's it, it's just been such a success in, in my home that I, I'm excited to share it with other people. <laughs> Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Um, so, so we live in this fallen world. There's a lot of ugliness being peddled to our kids, and they pick up on a lot. And they even pick up on the things that are important to us that may be a little over their heads. Um, we're in this culture that, that seeks actively to damage their innocence. Would you just start us off by stepping us into the importance of preserving their innocence? Well, I do think that that it's that it's not uh, it's not an either or thing. I, I think it's easy to think that you know either we're going to protect our kids' innocence or we're going to be realistic about the world that we live in. And I think that it's possible to do both. Uh, and and I think that 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 balance can be achieved by just paying attention to the developmental stage that our kids are in. And so I think that it's that it's important. Um, to protect kids innocence when they are when they are very young and i mean that's what i i think one of the um great benefits of of homeschooling is that um you know i like to call it sort of circles of influence right that that um i want my youngest kids to be primarily influenced by our family by our family culture by our family values um and and you know by our faith and and that goal is really, really helped by homeschooling. And so, um, 
you know, we are able to form our kids' values and our kids and, 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 you know, and sort of the way that they see the world and we're able to have more control over their influences. But that doesn't mean that, you know, I think the knock against that is, oh, you know, you're going to send them off to college and they, you know, won't know what to do and they won't have ever, you know, encountered anything. Um, but it, that doesn't have to be the case. It can be the case that we can allow their circle of influence to grow at, uh, you know, an appropriate age that we can uh, guide their, uh, you know, their experience of, uh, of new influences and, uh, and, you know, share difficult topics with them, um, at, you know, as it feels appropriate for, for those kids as a particular subject comes up. Um, and, and so that's what we've done. You know, we keep our kids home in our family, um, you know, until about middle school, usually, um, and then they go to a Catholic school that we have, a, a, you know, that we, that we trust. Although of course, as soon as, you know, as soon as they're out of, um, out of our home, even in an environment that we think is, uh, is better than, than almost every other one, um, there are still, different influences than they would get at home. And so, you know, that allows us to sort of baby step out of the family into a safer environment. And then, you know, after that, then they're, uh, you know, my oldest son is in college now. My second daughter will be going off to college and we, we're looking at really different environment for, uh, for what was appropriate for my son versus what's going to be appropriate for my next daughter. And, you know, and then it is out into the out into the wild, wild world, but, but allowing them, uh, uh, allowing us to guide the, the way that they, um, the way that they experience these things by even as, uh, you know, by, by answering questions that they ask by watching movies that, that we're going to watch together so that we can pause things and talk about it by listening to audiobooks together uh, that, that are going to spark conversations and, you know, all of these things, uh, well, and, and prayer intentions, you know, are, are, and feast days and, and historical events, all of these things are going to get conversations going. And because we're homeschooling in the, in the younger ages, we can choose how, um, how to share those things and how much to share at a particular time. Yeah. It's really interesting what you touched on, which is that each individual kid has different needs and they may have different capabilities at different ages as far as the kinds of conversations we might engage or the college you send them to when they're older. The parents have such a bead on each individual soul as it develops. There's really so much we can observe. Um, can you give us just some examples specifically from your life of, say, um, maybe pick a, a topic and look at different age groups and how you might craft that conversation or shield them from a certain conversation at a different age, just things that yeah, have come I would up. Say, uh, you know, there, there are, uh, there are of course, you know, any number of, of topics that, that we use this um, sort of approach on and, and it can be things that are um, that, uh, you know, things like, you know, the birds and the bees kind of talk that, that, that that isn't something that's immoral uh in, in the correct um you know in the in the correct environment as long as they're keeping the fire in the fireplace then, 
um, and not, you know, not letting it overtake the house, then that's, then it's appropriate. But so for our youngest kids, you know, you mentioned that we have chickens. So our youngest kids will see the rooster is jumping on top of the hens. And that allows us to give, you know, a small little introduction to a very, very big topic, right? So we can just say that that's how we get baby chickens. And then, you know, so it's just a little bit of information. I like the idea, you know, keeping the idea of I'm, I'm giving my kids a piece of the puzzle and rather than sitting them down for a big, important conversation. And those are always awkward and some, you know, I, a lot of us adults can think back to the big, important conversations that we had and how like uncomfortable they were. <laughs> and so whenever possible, I like to give my kids a little piece of the puzzle at a time and allow them to sort of put things together themselves and come to me later and say like, oh, what about this? What about that? Um, and so I can just, you know, fill in the gaps, give them some mortar. I'm changing my analogy now um, as, <laughs> as they need, you know, to, to put everything together. Um, but you know, something like, so it would start the, the whole concept of birds and the bees starts with, Hey, why is, why is the rooster doing that to the, to the hen? Um, and then, uh, you know, but other than that, we do, I would say that we do shelter our kids and try to preserve their innocence. We avoid, um, movies and TV shows that, that, um, show, uh, you know, that, that present an immoral picture of, you know, of hooking up or living together. Um, we really do. And that's, you know, that's a tall order, but we really do, um, have, have a goal of that. Um, and so sort of the next step after chickens is, you know, if, if there are questions, we talk about it, we call it the special kind of hug that, you know, that moms and dads do, um, that allows God to, to, to give them babies. Um, you know, so somewhere, somewhere in the, um, you know, in the elementary school years, that's sort of the way that we talk about it. Um, and, and then of course we get into more, you know, there, there are more sort of science topics that, that touch on things. Um, but then around, um, around 12 or 13, depending again, depending on the kid, I, um, oh, and I, I should back up that we've, there's a, um, there's a book called good pictures, bad pictures, that's really excellent um, about avoiding um, pornography, avoiding, you know, purposefully or accidentally seeing pornography online. Our kids don't have any access to devices on their own, but it's still something that's really important. And we feel like in those um, in those elementary school years, it's worth the sort of threat to their innocence in order to protect a big them from this bigger threat. So there's a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, and it it's a really gentle approach to to avoiding um you know accidentally or purposefully seeing pornography so you know that that's another piece of the puzzle uh and then at 12 or 13 um either dad sit, you know dad takes the boys and talks to them i take the girls and talk talk to them and do you know do the whole talk and talk about you know what married love is and um and, you know, and then as, so, and then as they get older, then, um, you know, then we talk more about, uh, about dating and specifics on that and what, uh, you know, how we can protect ourselves in a, uh, well, and my kids, uh, don't date in high school, but, um, but I do have one out and, you know, and we talk about, um, you know, what, how to approach that. Um, and, and so again, it's just all these little pieces. And by the time they're out of the house, 
you know, my, my hope is that they'll, you know, my daughters would have an understanding of the way their own body works, their cycles, um, and you know, how sex works and how, (laughs) um, in, in, um, and, you know, things that we want to avoid and a compassionate discussion of, uh, um, of other choices that other people make, um, that we want to try to avoid, um, things like that. And then, you know, there's, there's that whole, you know, there's the whole spectrum on, on other topics like abortion, starting with, you know, learning that small and, um, you know, and, and adding and, and small and compassionate and then, you know, more details as they can handle it. Yeah. You mentioned in your book that, you know, sometimes you'd be demonstrating outside an abortion clinic or something like that, and your children might be with you. So they might lob a question at you or, or, or your, and like, as you said, at some point when they're developmentally, mentally ready and they've processed a little bit of what you, that little puzzle piece you gave them the last time, now their minds have come to the next question and the next question. It's interesting to me, Kendra, I always love talking to moms of big families because they are mothering so many different ty- kinds of children that they tend to know big deal things a little bit more than I did. I had, you know, after years of infertility, had a baby very late in life. And so everything was new all the time. And I was really freaked out. So I had to have these other moms to talk to. And there were times when I downloaded way too much information for my little girl. And she was really bright and she really listened and she took it all in. But some of it was too much. And some of it I found out, unfortunately, because of a neighbor who took it upon herself to educate her through what she'd learned on the internet. Um, that my when she finally asked me for the talk, which I promised her whenever when she was ready to hear it, um, she already had some information in her head. And so she asked some pretty adult questions. So it can be complicated, right? Knowing what's what's the right thing right now. We really do have to pray for wisdom on this, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think keeping prayer as as a big part of this. And, you know, when my kids ask me a question to take that moment and ask the Holy Spirit for help, um, it, it is good. And, and there are definitely times when I would say, you know, that I don't want to burden you with with too much information. And, you know, if somebody has, um, you know, if somebody has opened that door for you a little bit, if somebody has given you wrong information, you know, I I want to correct it as much as I can, but without burdening you with too much information right now. Um, And, 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 and I, you know, my kids have been, have been accepting of that, of that position when necessary, but like you're like you were saying you know there are some kids that just notice everything and it, you know I, I live in Los Angeles we have I mean maybe everybody does but I know we have inappropriate billboards and um you know and my kids want to know what those billboards are for um and, you know and especially my older son and like you know, I was in the same position that that you were um w- with your daughter with him and I did not I think I didn't handle things well with him at first necessarily that, that, you know, my, my approach of these small pieces and giving a little bit of information at a time came because I, my, my approach with him was to just push it off and push it off and say, Oh, that's a question for later. You know, I'll explain that when you're older, but then he was so bright that he was putting together his own ideas of what it must be. Um, and that wasn't helpful. And and then again, you know, he had gotten to an age where it required me to, you know, sit him down and tell him, you know, 
download a whole bunch of stuff on him at once. Um, and, and so since then with my other kids, you know, we've tried to do the more gradual, the, but, but that to, to recognize that probably if my kids are at, are, are articulating questions on this subject, you know, they're ready to, they're ready to learn something about it. And, and, um, so I don't put off questions anymore. I just try to come up with an age appropriate way to answer it. And, you know, like you were saying, not too much at once that, especially with younger kids, um, you know, maybe they just want a really small answer and, uh, and, and to start with that and not add in all the, Oh, also, Oh, also. And then if this, then that, you know, because it can get really overwhelming, especially with top, you know, big, heavy topics. So to, to start with just the most basic answer you can come up with and then see if, you know, sometimes they'll be like, Oh, okay, great. And walk away. Like, Whoa, great. Yeah. And you know, what, um, you know what I you wish know, I had done. They'll want more information and, and to, you know, to just try to approach heavy subjects. Like you said, we do, we, we say rosaries outside the abortion clinic, especially during 40 days for life is big around here. And we unfortunately have a, a Planned Parenthood um, just a few blocks down our street. And, you know, we drive past it all the time. And so, um, it, you know, I, I do think that it's a great witness to, you know, people driving past to people who might be going in and to my own family to, to show that we want to take time out of our busy schedules to, to pray for these people and, and to try to, to do it in, in a really loving way, in a way that recognizes that this is a tragedy for everyone involved to recognize that, you know, these are people who, you know, for generations, we've been lying to women, we've been lying to doctors. We, we, you know, people are being raised in this society that doesn't understand the truth of human sexuality that doesn't understand, you know, the, the truth of, of what we can handle and, um, and, and of, you know, noble choices. Um, and so to, to allow my kids to pray for, for everybody involved, um, and uh, I, I think is a good thing. Um, but to not, you know, to not go into, you know, more detail than the, than the littlest kids need, but to be willing to be open with my older kids so that they're not, so that they're able to get that information from me and not feel like they have to go somewhere else to get it. Yeah. Yeah. You touched on so many important things that bearing witness, that prioritizing time to bear witness and to pray for people to take a compassionate approach instead of a judgy kind of tribal condescending approach, which can, which can creep into when we feel so assaulted by the culture, we can start to feel that way. Can we start to get a little tribal? And then our kids pick up on that. Um, what I wanted to add is that when I was going through raising, you know, such a young, bright, inquisitive kid. I wished I had asked more questions. Oh, what made you think of that? You know, like I probably would have gotten to the root of who was feeding her misinformation quicker and then been able to know precisely what to correct and where to feed in if I had been a little more attuned to what was going on with her. But of course, that's that's hindsight is always twenty twenty, and God well, does no, com but that is, complete that's really what we great do. Advice. Yeah, that to have it be not just to sit the kid down and, you know, and unload a whole bunch of information, but to, to try and have it be a conversation. And, you know, uh, that I'll sometimes I'll say, all right, you know, can you tell me that back? And, you know, to, to see what they took away from all this stuff that I just told them. <laughs> um, 
and, and you know, and see where their where their understanding was, and you'd be like, "All right, no, that's that's good enough." Okay, or no, <laughs> I I need to try that try again on that. I love that you just said that because I was teaching my daughter's first grade catechism class and we were praying for everyone's intentions and I said, and I kind of wrapped it up by saying, okay, for everyone who is suffering and everyone who will die today because someone's had a death in the family and all this kind of stuff. And then I said, can anyone tell me what we prayed for? And a little girl raised her hand very proud and said, for everyone who's suffocating. <laughs> suffering and dying today became suffocating to her. And yep. I thought, oh, God, I had a chance to clear that up before she went home and told her parents that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's really neat to, as you said, kind of create a conversation. What are some other typical tough questions we get uh, related well, to I, I mean, faith or morals? <laughs> yeah, I would say that, that uh, you know, that as part of our responsibility as the primary educators of, of our kids, you know, and that goes for people who homeschool and people who don't, um, you, you know, big questions are going to come up. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, around, around celebrating the liturgical year, a lot of things come up that, you know, I, I think a lot of moms have had the experience of opening, you know, your, your saint book for the day and it's the feast of St. Maria Goretti. And you think like, Oh boy, like, how am I going to talk about this with my kids? Um, and, it, you know, so even, you know, there's, if you've already gotten over the hump of explaining, you know, gruesome martyrdoms and things, but but then all of a sudden, like, how do I talk to my kids about what happened to her? That, that, that you know, they, they need to have sort of that gentle frame of reference of the special kind of hug and... And, but then it also goes into, you know, the, this broader cultural issues of, you know, it's not a sin to be a victim of a sexual assault, right? And it can sometimes, people can have the perception that the church teaches that if you, you know, aren't miraculously preserved from an assault, that you somehow have committed a sin. And that is definitely not what the church teaches. And that's not what... um you know, if you go back and read these really old saint stories in this great book called The Golden Legend, which which I love, it's these really old, um, like, you know, medieval era saint stories. Um, and, and it specifically talks in, I think, the, maybe it, it's the story of maybe St. Agnes. And it talks, and she gives this long speech to this guy who's trying to attack her about how if he were to defile her against her will, then she would be purer than before. Um, um, that you know that that a person can't be defiled by you know by that by the outside. And so this is what the te- church has been teaching for a very very long time. So it's important wow. to you know to remember that. But in the case of Saint Maria Goretti, especially what she was trying to avoid is his sin. She was killed because she loved her fellow man so much that that instead of submitting to him, she fought, she tried to fight him off and was killed trying to keep him from committing a sin. And it's such a beautiful story because he ended up converting in, it, uh, he, he had um, a dream in which she appeared to him in prison after he was convicted of her murder. Um, and, and he ended up converting, reconciling with her mother he attended her canonization and he lived out the rest of his days as a like caretaker at a monastery um 
And, you know, so that's, that's the takeaway. Isn't that, you know, if she had been raped, she would have sinned. It's, that wasn't, that isn't the takeaway. The takeaway is this great love that she had for someone else. Yeah, incredible. And, and from what I understand too, her mother sort of adopted him as a son when he came out of prison and, and came to make amends. I think, I know that his cause has been opened. I think the mother's cause should be opened as well. But, but thank you for making that point because I think that's the clearest explanation I've ever heard of this. I knew that she was saying, no, no, it is a sin that she was trying to talk to him about that as he was uh, being aggressive. And, um, but you saying that it was her great love to preserve him from sin, that's just so clear that that is what she died for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it sneaks up on us as moms and as teachers, right? Like, maybe I didn't prepare for that today. You know, I was just <laughs> trying to read a little saint story. But, but you know, um, it is, it does give us that opportunity, the liturgical year. And uh, it, I just, I really love it as this framework for who would have thought that it would give us the opportunity to have these big, important, you know, to, to have these important conversations in little bits, you know, that, it hopefully can can end up with us having a clear, you know, understanding of what the church teaches, and you know, and um, and having the you know the the saints as as an inspiration to us in in so many different ways. Yeah, and I think it's okay for our kids to see that we are learning too. That yes. if we don't have a question right on the tip of our tongue, what do you do when that happens to you, Kendra? I say I don't know, but I'll find out. I mean, it is it's it's a mantra of mine. Like and and it's so good for our kids to see that we don't know everything. I really I do not at all like that uh you know, as much as I consider myself kind of an old-fashioned gal, I don't like that that father knows best, um, you know, style of, you know, what I say goes kind of thing. I, 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 I'm happy to say to my kids, I don't know that, you know, I wasn't born knowing everything. I'm only in, I'm not in charge of you because I know everything. I'm only in charge of you because God put me in charge of you. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't earn it. Um, but, but, you know, but I don't know. And I'll find out. And then to model to our kids, like how, what resources am I going to use to, to, to look something like this up? Where am I going to go for that information? Am I going to say like, oh, you know, I know another mom that I'm going to ask. I'm, you know, this seems like something father, somebody or other would know, or, you know, I'm going to pull out these, you know, this book or that book, or I'm going to look at a trusted site on the internet um, and find out. And I'm going to let you know, and we'll talk about it again at dinner or, um, you know, or tomorrow at, at school. And, um, I, I think that's really great to model that to my kids that I'm not just going to kind of make something up or blow them off. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to do it right and figure it out and get back to them. Yeah. And that's such a sensible approach, too, because that kind of integrity, showing up as a real human being, it just helps to build that bond of trust, too, doesn't it? Yeah, I hope so, because I, I think that, you know, I, I, I don't want to be a, a, you know, the... Uh, the uh, Wizard of Oz, you know, <laughs> behind the curtain, great and powerful. It, it, you know, they they see me. They they know I'm not perfect. So um, I, I think it's good that I um, am just upfront with them about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and there's a point too where, um, like in in Romans eight, the 
you know, all good comes to those who, you know, who love the Lord, right? That that He completes what we leave unfinished. He perfects our imperfect lessons. That we needn't be so afraid. That God's provision is always there for there. Have there ever been times, Kendra? I can't think of a specific incident myself, but I can think. I remember there were times when I didn't explain something well, and my daughter somehow came to a holy conclusion about something, like something just she was able to connect the dots, and I saw the Holy Spirit backing me up. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I love how, how you know, kids' compassion can come out, um, even just things like, um, you know, if somebody cuts us off uh, driving, and I'll be like, oh, I, I guess that guy's in a hurry or something. And then, you know, one of my kids pi- piped up from the backseat, like, maybe he's maybe he's in a hurry to to um you know to go see his dying grandma and ever since then i can't remember which kid it was it started but ever since then we had the making excuses game in the car where if we see somebody (laughs) do something crazy we come up with a bunch of crazy reasons why he's in a really big hurry that make it okay (laughs) that's hilarious i love it i would love to be in on that uh, you know like a fly on the wall with all the kids coming up with the crazy excuses that's adorable yeah it's fun because yeah. you well, never know what's going on in somebody else's life. And, you know, it's okay. <laughs> and I love that you weave a lot of humor into things, too, that you like to have fun with your family. And I feel like that that joyfulness is something that people outside the church don't often expect of us, but it's really there. And, and also, I'd just like to say, too, that when you show that compassion and it turns into a silly game— I feel like when they've laughed about something, when they've turned it over in their minds in that creative space together as a little loving community on behalf of the people who pass through their lives at high speed or whatever, <laughs> um, that, that, that it speaks volumes to them in their relationship to the world. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. That's the goal, right? We're, we're trying to raise saints. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, so, so interesting and and so delightful discussing this all with you. Um, Would you mind taking us out with, I know we don't have time to deep deep dive on this, Kendra, but could you say a little bit about kind of prayer and fasting? Because we are not just fighting with the world in front of us. We, there are principalities and powers at work here. What can we do? Yeah. So I think that, that does, that it ties in with our, uh, you know, mention of talking to kids about abortion and and the liturgical year giving us the opportunity for things like that that on i believe it's january 22nd is the um the uh day on which the church observes a day of prayer and fasting for the well the church in the united states observes a day of prayer and fasting for uh the legal protection of unborn children and uh, and so it is, it's a great sort of baby step opportunity to, um, you know, to introduce this concept to a family and to say, hey, we're gonna, um, we're gonna say some extra prayers today, you know, maybe we'll go and pray outside of a clinic. And or you know, maybe that's not possible uh, for for every family, but to say like, hey, we're gonna have this day of this extra day of fasting. Um, and, and what the church defines as as a fasting day is is really pretty manageable even for for older kids it basically you know in our house comes down to just not snacking because it's one full meal and then two meals that together um add up to less than your one full meal so 
I mean, for us, that pretty much defines our regular breakfast and lunch anyway, wouldn't, you know, would be a half of, of what our dinner would be. So sometimes though, especially for my older kids and for the grownups in the house, we'll, we'll try to back it off a little bit more than that. But, but for, for the youngest kids to just, I mean, not youngest, but you know, kids over the age of reason to say, Hey, we're not going to have snacks today. We're, um, you know, we're not going to eat treats today. Maybe we're, uh, or maybe we'll also fast from screens. I do try to keep it food, um, based whenever possible, but that's not possible for every person in every situation. Um, but, but just to explain that, that even though it's easy to see this as something that's happening outside us, that, that we can, can try to take on some of that burden, um, through, through fasting. And it is such a, a powerful way to pray. Um, and it's something that I think the church as a whole has really gotten away from. Um, but it's something that we can emphasize in our own homes and, and in our own families and give our kids that tool. Um, you know, what does it say? Like this, this kind of, uh, this kind of spirit can only be, uh, you know, taken away by prayer and fasting. Um, and, and, and so, you know, we want that tool in our toolkit that, that when we're praying for, for things that are really important for things that are really bad in the world, that, that to know that we have recourse to fasting, to, to giving ourselves a little bit of, of physical discomfort. And really like, it, I mean, it honestly, it makes me feel embarrassed to even talk about it, especially when you read old books that like, to me, this great physical discomfort is not eating snacks on one day, but boy, it gets you right. Like it's the one day yeah, I could go without breakfast, you know, without even noticing it some days, but then, oh, it's a fasting day. And all of a sudden, like, I'm so hungry. <laughs> um, it, but, but to be able to offer that up and that little nagging feeling in your tummy is that call to prayer is that, you know, sacrifice that we can offer for others. And it's something, you know, in this, especially in this gentle sort of, um, you know, uh, current Catholic norms of fasting, um, is something that my kids have been able to to manage. Yeah, and one uh, one other neat little insight. I love what what you said about the that gnawing feeling in your stomach being a call to prayer. That's beautifully said. I also heard that 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 emptiness is a way kind of in your heart to make more room for Christ and and to be in solidarity with people who are hungry all the time. You know, there's so many different layers to that, that our children are so compassionate naturally um, that when we can cast a light on it that way, it helps them to embrace it with more enthusiasm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they love meaning, don't they? <laughs> Little meaning machines. <laughs> all right. Uh, Kendra, any final thoughts as, as we wrap up for today yeah no I, I that that's great i just i i just love how everything everything can be tied into the liturgical year <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and and again everybody please do pick up this incredible book the catholic all year compendium um and do check out kendra's uh, website catholicallyear.com there's this one too per companion oh, yes. goes along with it 
Yes, indeed. In fact, I just interviewed someone else on this show who held that book up because she's <laughs> loving it and getting so much out of it. I was like, oh, is that Kendra's book? And she was like, yes. <laughs> so yeah, terrific book. She's just loving it. Everybody, thank you so much for being with us. I'll have links for Kendra's book and her website in the show notes, as well as ways to find her on social media platforms and her ministries. Uh, she's really doing so much good in the world. Thank you so much, Kendra. Thanks. All right, everybody, stay tuned for our short feature coming right up. Hi, I'm author AJ Catapan. Welcome to Books and Blessings, a place where I get to share with you books for Catholic teens and tweens. Today's selection is probably best suited for the tween crowd, especially in grades 4 and 5. Saving Mount Rushmore is the first book in the St. Michael the Archangel Academy series by Andrea Jo Rogers. In Saving Mount Rushmore, 13-year-old John Jenkins is excited to hear his parents are headed to Africa for the summer, until he learns he won't be going with them. Instead, he's being shipped off to his great-aunt Martha's house in South Dakota. In fact, Aunt Martha has asked for him specifically. John has no idea why until he arrives in South Dakota, and his aunt explains that he's been accepted for a special program at the St. Michael the Archangel Academy. This is a school for young people with special talents. John has no idea why he was selected since he doesn't seem to have any special talents. Nonetheless, his aunt shows him how to get to the school via a mirror with a magic transport system. There, he meets Annabelle, a history whiz who has been at the Academy since she was seven. Annabelle takes John on a tour of the Academy and explains that he is now on Team Liberty with her and two other students, Raphael and Shaniqua. Students at St. Michael train to go on missions where they help the government with low-level crimes. Before he knows it, John is on his first mission with Team Liberty. A group of mischief makers are planning to vandalize Mount Rushmore. John and his new teammates must decode a series of clues to stop them before they ruin the National Monument. The clues in the story are actually quite easy to decode, so a fourth or fifth grader who has any experience at all with solving letter-to-number code should have no problem coming up with the answers even before the characters in the book do. Still, I think kids who enjoy this kind of play-along decoding will enjoy figuring them out. Saving Mount Rushmore by Andrea Jo Rogers is a quick read that will be enjoyed by riddle solvers, history buffs, and those who are fans of national monuments. There's also a strong theme of patriotism in this story. To see more book suggestions, visit my website at ajcatapan.com. There you can also learn about my own middle grade mystery, Seven Riddles to Nowhere, and my new book for educators, catechists, and homeschooling parents called Sweet Jesus Is It June Yet? Ten Ways the Gospels Can Help You Combat Teacher Burnout and Rediscover Your Passion for Teaching. Thanks for joining me on Books and Blessings. Be sure to find me online on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or on my website, ajcatapan.com. Until next time, happy reading. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints and leave us an honest review. God bless you, and thank you for joining us. <laughs>